Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So have we got a treat for you today? Um, we've got a fantastic Nancy, Nancy McCabe. Nancy, great to, to see you again and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. So uh, Nancy is uh, an, a, you're an adoptive mum and you raised, if I remember rightly, you, you raised your daughter on your own. Yeah. You, yes. Right. You, single, single parent single, single, of a daughter yeah. from China. Yes. From China. Yeah. Um, so one of the when listeners when uh, Nancy and I spoke last time we came up with this idea of something to av- avoid as as adoptive parents uh, and that's imposing our own insecurity our own insecurities on our on our kids so uh, that that was uh, something that Nancy Nancy said in our in our discussion why why do you why is that why is that a big deal do you think Nancy watching out for our own securities and not imposing them on our kids well you know I think that that's probably a general principle of parenting whether you're an adoptive parent or not that yeah um, it's so easy to read your child's behavior in light of your own um you know, your own insecurities, your own doubts, um, and to, to have expectations that might be unrealistic of your children. And, you know, I think it's, it's very important, you know, especially as an adoptive parent, I think, because, you know, I think the issues may be a little bit differently when you're not an adoptive parent, um, when your children are biologically related to you, um, in that, maybe there's the temptation is very high to impose a lot of expectations on those children um with an adopted child you don't have that genetic component where you're like well this child must do this or must do that or must look like this or must you know be interested in that and so it's so important to let them be who they are outside of your expectations yeah so when when was the first inkling that you got? When did you first kind of catch on to the to the importance of this barrier, Nancy? You know, I think from the very beginning, because um, you know, my daughter, I met her when she was nine months old. And I've heard this about babies that are younger than that too, but I mean, she very clearly had her own personality and um she was not so it would have been such a mistake to try to mold her into something that I wanted her to be as opposed to seeing who she was um and maybe again that's one of the gifts of having a a child that's a little bit older is that that you know um you you can't entertain illusions about how you're going to mold them it's kind of more obvious yeah it becomes more obvious obvious. because the personality is more developed at nine months old than it is at nine minutes I guess right right yeah I mean she was very intense and she knew what she wanted and she had very strong feelings and so um and and very bright eyes that looked like they were taking in everything and and um so you know there was just no way I was going to try to force her into something that I thought she should be yeah so was it was that a surprise to you? Hmm. Or to what extent? You know, I, I think to some extent it was, and and especially in my case because I was with a group of parents who were all adopting from China, and 
um, so there were four babies, I think, three or four babies from our, there were six people in the group, but I think only three of the babies were, were from the same orphanage as my daughter. And so the other babies in the group reacted to trauma by withdrawing and their personalities kind of, you know, got hidden a little bit for the first few days. Um, the first couple of weeks, you know, it took, it took a long time. I mean, I talked to one mom that said that her child didn't really start um, exhibiting a whole lot of reaction, emotion for a few weeks because she was so traumatized. My daughter had the opposite reaction. She was the only one in the, in the group that was just yelling at the top of her lungs from the very beginning. She was not happy. She was not comfortable. She thought I, it was weird that I was, you know, this person who she'd never seen was taking her. Um, and so, you know, I, I did have to adapt to that very quickly to the fact that this was, and everybody else is like, oh my God, there goes Sophie again. Cause she would be screaming at the top of her lungs. And, um, so, so, you know, it was a, a much quicker awakening for me than it was for some of those other parents. Like the one that I talked to a couple of years later, she said, you know, a month after I adopted my daughter, she suddenly got really testy and angry and loud and and, um, you know, suddenly started struggling more with adjustment. Whereas my daughter did from the very beginning. I mean, I, they all adjusted very well, but clearly it was, it was a big transition. They were, you know, they'd been somewhere else being taken care of by other people for many months. Yeah. I, um, uh, I heard of uh, something as, a, as an adoptee that made me really wince in pain last week, which was, somebody was talking about when kids are ready to be adopted and uh, and it, it was somebody that worked in a i think maybe worked in an orphanage um and she said when they stop crying they're ready to be adopted and that really got me for some reason yeah you know when 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 yeah I, I don't really know why. Yeah, and, and I, I would actually disagree with that quite a bit because I think that our children who were in orphanages for a long time, my cousin also adopted from China a couple of years after I did. And she said that her daughter didn't know that she was allowed to have any desires. She didn't know that she could want anything. And we've been back to that orphanage, the orphanage that my daughter was in many times. And there's a lot of babies that it's like they, to see a baby that has given up on life is the most heartbreaking thing on the face of the earth. Um, a baby that does no longer cry or protest or try to get attention. That's a bit, you know, like to give up under the, it's just, just mind boggling. Yeah. So, so I think that, I mean, honestly, I think that our children, uh, is anybody ever ready to be adopted? Is anybody ever ready to be wrenched out from the life that they know and sent to a different one? Probably not. But at the same time, you know, our children were in understaffed, underfunded orphanages. Um, and so, you know, ideally, if a child is, if a child is going to be adopted, you know, if they can be adopted from birth, that makes such a difference. Um, you know, I, I, I think nobody's ever ready and they always have to adjust no matter how old they are. But the earlier, the better from what I know now about brain development. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think you put my feeling into words, you know, very well when you, because, you know, the, the fact, you know, to the, the fact that a, a baby has given up, you know, and that's the right timeline. Um, yeah, it's, it's still send, it's still sending, um, spirit, uh, what do they, what do they, um, it's sending, uh, chills down my spine. That. Um, what you, you've, you've talked a lot about the, you mentioned kind of the, you've, you've talked about doubt, insecurities and, and expectations. Um, and what 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 doubts what doubts insecurities and insecurities came came to the surface in those in those early days weeks months you know when i went into it and as a single parent you know i wasn't i didn't know if i was prepared i hadn't spent a lot of time around babies i wasn't sure that I had a lot of maternal instincts, um, <clears throat> but I knew I wanted to raise a child. And so <clears throat> for me, excuse me, my voice, um, <clears throat> I was not, I did not trust my own instincts because I didn't know if I had any. And so um, for me, that was a really big thing, like realizing, you know what? if I pay close attention to what she needs, I know what to do. And, and it was a big revelation for me when I was in China, even um, because when she came to me, she was sick. She was not only fussy, but she was, she was genuinely, um, she had eczema, her face was all red. She um, was having digestive issues. And, and I finally said, you know what? <clears throat> Because when I met her, she was on milk formula. But later I realized that probably that something, <clears throat> yeah, that's something that, um, that Chinese orphanages do when Americans are adopting babies in particular, because Americans have this really weird idea that milk is sort of the cure-all and that, you know, everybody must drink lots of milk. And so I think that these babies were put on milk formula only days before they met us. So my daughter, she can't hold down food. She's got bright red cheeks. I finally said, you know what? I, I think I'm gonna take her off milk formula. I wanna see what happens because she might, be, she might be allergic to milk. She might be lactose intolerant. And my cousin was kind of put out with me because she had already made up several bottles. She said, can't you wait? And I'm like, no, let's, let's just give this a try. And I put her on soy formula and it immediately all cleared up and she was fine. And I was like, and, and I was criticized by our facilitator. She said, oh no, she must have milk. And, and I was just like, no, no, I, I'm going to try this. And, and then, you know, I realized I was right. And everybody else was not. I knew already I could read this child's signals better than anybody else. And so I needed to trust myself. And, and, you know, I think that was always a struggle is, you know, even after that, throughout many, throughout the years was just figuring out how to trust myself and my own instincts um, to do the best I could for my child. Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, 
to, to me that you know you said uh, I couldn't trust my own instincts because I didn't know if I had any yeah uh, and and it, it's like that that sounds kind of it sounds like a bad thing really but what it actually meant was that you were totally open it was that it was um you you weren't bringing your um preconceptions yeah yeah you you were open you were kind of curious you 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 knew that you didn't know what you didn't right and I and I hope so I would like to read it that way you know years later when my daughter was very sick in her teens um I finally had her tested for food allergies and she came she was allergic to milk and I thought, oh my gosh, I, I recognized this when she was, when I first met her and I, I did not give her milk products for years, but then eventually, you know, she grew up in the U S milk is forced on kids all the time. That's all they have to drink in the schools. Um, and, and so we just sort of forgot about it. It turned out she wasn't lactose intolerant, but she was allergic to milk. And so, so, you know, that was one of many of a constellation of problems that she was dealing with is that she was still ingesting milk products and she couldn't process them. But I was like, oh my gosh, like I knew this when she was young and yet I've kind of forgotten and not trusted myself over the years. And now I have to go back to recognizing that I do know. Yeah. So it seems to me that it was, it was, uh, it was wisdom or an insight or a gut feel or something that yeah, you know, yeah. She, she she's got eczema she's looking red she won't she can't what what might it be and it was almost uh, as if it was some kind of idea from the back of your brain it was uh something popped popped up because you were open yeah you know i i think i mean many times over the years i had occasions to realize that I often, we often know what we don't realize we know. When, when my daughter was five, she, two Thanksgivings in a row, she got so severely dehydrated. The first Thanksgiving, she had an asthma attack and was dehydrated and ended up in the emergency room for 11 hours, you know, before they could get her asthma under control. Wow. Next year, we were visiting a friend at Thanksgiving and I was the one that cleared the table after dinner. I said, Hey, let me, let me do the dishes here. So I, I took all the dishes into the kitchen and I kept thinking there is something I need to like in the back of my head, it's just this twinge. It was like, there's something I should be paying attention to here, but I don't know what it is. And I didn't think about it consciously, but you know, I, I did the dishes the next morning, my daughter woke up and she was really sick. She couldn't move. And I was like, Oh, I think she's dehydrated. And then I had the memory of clearing the table and clearing a full water glass from the kids table. I realized she hadn't drunk a thing the day before. And so it was another reminder that, you know, if you pay attention, everything is out there for you to figure out, you know, you just have to pay attention. It almost felt psychic, but it wasn't psychic. It was, it was a matter of attention to detail. Yeah. So do you think, you know, she didn't like, drinking stuff you know she didn't drink like she didn't like drinking liquids well I yeah I think what happened is she just got we were away from home and she was so excited playing with these other kids and she uh, just didn't you know and that happens to a lot of people they get dehydrated because they're just distracted and they don't think to drink um and she didn't feel consciously thirsty 
So I think that was what it was. I don't, because normally at home, this wasn't an issue, but away from home, I knew to watch for it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so we, we're talking about, we've talked about doubts, insecurities, and, um, and expectations. So could you talk into the expectations for me, Nancy? Oh, that's such a tough one, especially these days, you know, because parenting is such a competitive sport. You know, everybody <laughs> has all these expectations for their kids. And and I had a really hard time because I'm a competitive person and I was like a really good student. And, um, you know, so I, I just noticed from a very young age, it was just always like my kids making straight A's and my kid is, you know, great at this and great at that. And I had to really... I mean, I, and I think this is all parents. I don't think this is just about adoption, obviously, no. but I had to really work on restraining myself and learning to, again, and I'm not sure I was always successful, but, you know, to always to pay attention to what she wanted and needed and what she was good at and what she cared about. And she was a very good student, but she didn't handle pressure very well. And so she would kind of tank at, on tests and, and, so, I mean, I really had to learn to temper my expectations and to, to really like look at school and take that, put it in perspective that, you know, making straight A's doesn't mean that you're smart and not making good grades doesn't mean that you're dumb. I mean, there are lots of really, really intelligent people who don't make good grades. And there's a lot of people that are really good at conforming and being conventional who make very good grades. So, so I had to, I really had to work at putting those things in perspective. Um, my daughter was a gymnast and so I really enjoyed watching that. But again, um, when she was, she, she competed for a year when she was eight and then she didn't want to do it anymore. And so I was disappointed, you know, cause I, I had enjoyed that, but, but I was like, yeah, okay. You know, um, you can go back someday if you want to. And then she actually did choose to go back on her own when she was 10 and she competed again for another six years. Um, and, and, you know, but it's really hard, you know, like sports parents, it's really hard not to impose it's if she didn't do well in a meet, then I had to learn to just, you know, not just not talk about it. She didn't need to talk about it all the time. Or if she did well, she didn't need to talk about it all the time. It was just like, matter of fact, like, you know, that's great. Let's go do something else now. Um, and, and, and I, you know, this is, this is definitely an issue with parenting across the board, but when, when a child is adopted, I think they do sometimes have, you know, they're so worried about pleasing their parents and they're worried about, in, in my daughter's case, I think she, it was important to her to be publicly this perfect child so that people wouldn't criticize her so that people wouldn't say those kinds of stereotypical things like, well, you know, it's, you know, Nancy's not her real mom. So they don't really have a bond. And she, you know, we heard stuff like that a lot. So, so there was that additional pressure to, um, to achieve and behave. And, and so I tried to be aware of that and not, and, and do my best not to put too much pressure on her in that regard. Yeah. I mean, my wife, I haven't got any kids. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I, I really smiled as at the because obviously we have friends that do, um, but the uh, parenting as a competitive sport um, 
you know, parenting. I, I thought that's, uh, I, I could see that. That brought a smile to my face. Um, I think there's a, a, a cultural things coming clearer to me uh, recently in terms of how it, it just seems to me that um, Americans are a little bit more direct than British people. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't, you know, as you said, what you just said, we heard a lot of that, you know, not, not a real mum and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, would that happen in the, in the UK? I, I, and I really don't know, but my, I have a gut sense that mm. it would happen less perhaps not it would never happen but it would be a little bit less so have have i have i have i heard much of that not not yeah i'm as a kid right well i was white kid adopted by white folks so you know i'm not going to have the same um it's not going to be as as obvious at all you know Uh, right um so I, I want to take you back onto um, working on restraining yourself. You said working on restraining yourself, and I thought that's one of those things that we you know we all we all t- say that sort of stuff. But what like um, what? But what does that mean? What you know like what does what does what does working on restraining ourselves like? What does that look like? What's what's it about? Well, you know, I mean, I learned very quickly that it meant not making too big a deal about grades, which is, is hard because it's something that I always cared about as a kid and I'm, I've got a PhD, you know, I went through school. I, I cared about doing well and, and I had to learn not to make a big deal about that. Um, she did very well. I mean, it wasn't like she was doing poorly or anything, but, but she did like, you could tell she felt really intense pressure a lot of the time. Yeah. And it wasn't effortless for her because she felt so much stress. Some kids, you know, school was really effortless for. And um, and also just not comparing us because we're very different people. Like we have a lot in common. We think alike in many ways. But what we value may be a little bit different. Recently, she told me in this very apologetic way, mom, I don't think I'm ever going to go to grad school. And I just laughed. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it's not for everybody. and and I don't see you thriving in grad school because you know she's very smart she likes what she's doing um i think that the pressure would be very difficult for her um and again you know you got to separate the idea that of intelligence from other personality characteristics like i mean i do believe that her difficulty in dealing with stress stems directly from her infancy and um and she has to make choices to um to handle that as best she can but you know and if she were somebody who were highly academic and it was like that was the one thing that was holding her back from going to grad school was that she gets too stressed then certainly we would talk about resources for dealing with that but I just think that she's happy the way she is and that it's important for me you know as a parent of an adult now to just be proud of who she is and what she does and not you know you miss so much if you if you want things that aren't there if you spend a lot of time like I wish you were this way or I wish you were that way um and then you miss what really is and and I noticed that when she was a teenager when other parents would talk about their kids and their kids talents and their kids grades and I'm like if we're imposing so many expectations on them are we missing their actual strengths are we missing what they really do well 
you know, there's also, and I don't know if this is an American thing or not, but there's like such an emphasis on never quitting. Like if you start something, you should not quit. You should carry it through. And there's, oh, the culture, especially where we live in this small town, there is such disapproval about not, like if you join the gymnastics team, you should never quit. If you, you know, you sign up for track and field, you you can't quit. If you, and, and I'm like, you know what? I got to where I am in my own life by quitting things that I didn't care about. If I, I, you try things and if they don't work for you, you quit. Like there's nothing wrong with that. That's not a personality flaw. It's a way to find what you love. Yeah. And so I saw a lot of parents forcing their children to stay with things that the children didn't really care about. It's like, if, if my daughter hadn't quit gymnastics eventually, she wouldn't have discovered her love of politics and travel, which they're huge passions of hers. You know, she wouldn't have put so much time into those things. So every, you know, um, I think anytime that we have, we want not just our children, but other people in our lives to be different than what they are, we're missing who they really are. And we're missing a, a source of great richness in discovering this person. Yeah. And we're going to get frustrated ourselves. Yes. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's um, some Buddhist thing, isn't it? You know, whatever. Um, uh, arguing with what is, is it? Arguing, you know, resisting what is, you know, like bending right. with the breeze, you know. And the, the quitting thing. Um, um, was it you? I had this conversation about quitting with somebody. And I said that I felt that um, sometimes I stick with things for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't change path. So um, I'm, t- I'm not talking about the end goal. I'm talking about the strategy. Right. Yeah. So I, I stick, I stick with the strategy for too long. I think I sometimes do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I don't change course. I'm not talking about the end goal, but there you go. And, and um, somebody said to, I was sharing that. He said, oh, oh, that's to do with adoption. And mm. um, that wasn't you that said that, was it? No. I, I don't think so. That's no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, and I thought, and I went straight to, no, it's got nothing to do with adoption. That maybe it has nothing to do with that. Um, and You know, I do think that children who are adopted feel a larger um, pressure to prove themselves. You know, they feel a greater pressure to show that they are model children, that they stick with things, that they achieve things that, and that was part of the reason I felt like I had to back off on my daughter. Cause I, I think that other people's kids didn't feel like they had to somehow earn their place in the world and adopted children. And especially of course, in the case of a child that doesn't look like their parents. So everybody knows they're adopted and they you know, they, they feel a pressure to earn their place in the world. They feel a pressure to be grateful every day. And we all should be grateful every day, but like to put that additional pressure on children just because they're adopted, to say that an adopted child should be more grateful than a non-adopted child, it's the other way around. I mean, it's children that, that you know, were born in a family and grew up in that family, in a loving family, and never had the trauma of a child that was ripped from their roots 
those are the children that should be more grateful, not, not our children because they were adopted. Like that implies that there's something flawed about our children and that, that, you know, oh, we were so saintly and that we, you know, overlooked those flaws and took them in. And that's, that's like completely wrong because honestly, as we're the ones that should be grateful that we get to raise these children. Yeah. So fascinating. um, But but I I do think what you said, um, I mean, we should all teach our children how to change course. We don't talk about that enough. We talk too much about not quitting instead of how to quit and move on to something else. Yeah. When that person said that to me, I thought, no, that being <laughs> not changing course has got nothing to do with adoption. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there is a big difference between changing course and changing destination, right? And yeah. the three, three, there must be three completely different things. Oh, they seem to be to me. They seem to be to me. And but as soon as I thought to myself, "Don't discount that, Simon." Um, another thought came in. I said, "Yeah, sorry, discount it." You know, sorry. The, the first thought was, "I don't agree with you. You're wrong." And then my next thought was, "Hold on a minute." maybe she maybe it's it's worth mulling over you know just yeah. give it a little bit of time and, and see if it, it see if you change your opinion on her opinion right and on this occasion it um it didn't uh i did have something yeah something else happened nothing to do with anything to do with that on friday i um i had a decision to make and i was kind of a bit cheesed off with the other with another person and then I thought hold on a minute and and suddenly my my decision my thought about the other person changed completely I had um compassion for her and therefore I changed my decision and um Openness, I think, is well for me. It it it's something that I could do with a bit more of, which is why I was kind of perhaps um, half an hour or so ago. I was talking about I I was reveling in uh, reveling. I was reveling in your openness mm-hmm. about your daughter because that's something that I'd like to. Uh, demonstrate a little bit more often is is uh, openness um the bigger point that you make about kids having to earn their place adoptees having to earn their place in the world hmm. did you, was there a moment when you saw that in uh in 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 your daughter yeah you know she was just such like privately she was um especially in her early years um you know she was very tempestuous i mean she was very emotional she was you know and again it it i think stemmed from her early trauma but in public she was a model child 
And so by oh, the time wow. she came home from being in public at any point, it was like she was about ready to burst because she had held so much in all the time. And I especially noticed one time she was maybe about 12 and we went to some event um, with some other families and we all stopped for ice cream afterwards. And she just suddenly burst forth. Like she was, I don't remember what she said, but um, I think she burst forth with some profanity or something and everybody's like, whoa. And, um, and I was like, I think for me, this is a sign that she just is always holding so much in that sometimes she just can't do it anymore. So that was a really, wow. I mean, I noticed it all along, but I think that was a really big turning point moment where I was like, yeah, she's, she's really struggling because she has to suppress so much. And um, did she become aware of that herself? Did you point it out or did you, you know, what, what, what did you do? What, 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 what was um, it yeah, no, um, you know, I think that she became, as she hit adolescence, she became less of a model person in public. Uh, okay. She was, she, she was much more politically engaged. She is a very um, committed feminist and she spoke up about things and she stopped, she stopped holding things in. But then she was always getting in trouble because, you know, if a guy, like one time a guy called her like a bunch of kids at school were calling her chink and she called a guy an asshole after he called her that. And she's the one that got in trouble, you know, at school. And right. it was just like, um, so, so basically we had a conversation, you know, we had ongoing conversation at home about that and about, you know, when you take the risk of getting in trouble and when you don't and, and that I, and her knowing that I would support her choices in that regard. It's really funny though, because I think that she struggled a lot with, um, with those issues. She probably still does to some extent, but maybe not as much, but um, she's in her first really serious relationship right now. And she's learned that, you know, because she was an only child of a single mom, you know? And so it, I don't think it quite penetrated, but she's learned like, you have to be nice to people. Not that she wasn't, but that she would have her snarky moments. And now she's like, you know, that hurts people's feelings. And she's so mature and she's so good at recognizing now that, okay, I've got to learn to curb that. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I have a friend who, um, her name is Lori Jaquila, and she wrote a book about, she was adopted um, as a baby. And she wrote, she's written several books, but one of her um a recent memoir. Um, I'm trying to remember the title. It's okay. anyway, um, it's got a very complicated title, but she writes about how adopted children often don't realize that they can have an effect on other people. That children who spent time in orphanages, for instance, who didn't get their needs met don't think that other people will respond to them. So they can be really mean to other people. They can be, um, because they just assume that they're not gonna be hurt and nobody's gonna care. And, and I thought that was a really important insight because I saw that in my daughter that, you know, and of course I was the person that she, she took it out on because I was the safe person. One time I asked her when she was little, why do you talk to me like that? And she said, because I know you'll love me. <laughs> I know you'll love me anyway. And that was true. You wow. know? 
but but it really took maturity for her to figure out how to start dealing with that and how to um and to really understand the importance of being kind to other people always you know um I'm not I mean you know none of us ever ever achieved that completely but I I see it in her it's it's so rewarding to see just in the last few years how she's processed that yeah fascinating and Oh, I've remembered something that I was I was going to talk about earlier on that it came came back it's come back around again. Um, yeah, I was thinking I was thinking about my uh, I, I was thinking about my cousins actually. So my my mum was uh, the eldest of four daughters, and my dad was an only child. So and and uh, so there's there's me and my sister, and and then the second the second eldest daughter. Uh, one of my aunts, Auntie Kathleen, uh, we call her A Kathleen. She signs her cards, A Kathleen. Um, <laughs> she, it's just UNT. It's, it's just another, it's only three extra letters to put in, you know, like she's putting a full stop, A Kathleen. Anyway, um, she's, got, she's got four kids. Uh, and um, I, I remember thinking about how, Bigger families kind of the, the 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 kids sort themselves out a little bit more. They are they've got more the, the, there's more opportunities to learn the uh, the outcomes of not being kind. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, if if there's if you've got four if you've got three siblings, um, and. So the something that I was going to ask you about was this uh, this perennial problem, or seems to be perennial problem, right? uh, behavior. Let's call it behavior. So something happens. I th- I think to myself, is that because I'm adopted? Mm. Um, your daughter says something. You say, is that because she's adopted? So this this what do they call it? You know, finding the root cause you know looking for for looking for the causation and um it it strikes me that sometimes that can be a complete rabbit hole yeah oh yeah absolutely but you know and of course with her you have the complication of her being the only one of very few asian children in a very white community and dealing with a lot of um subtle racism um and so you know you're always asking the question is this because is this racism or not? And that also is a rabbit hole because it is sometimes, but sometimes maybe it's not. But, and, but, but the thing is that, you know, racism is a system. It's not like necessarily a characteristic that people have. It's just a system that we support. Um, whether we want to or not, we do it subconsciously. So like, you know, it, it was very hard to sort out why certain yeah. things happened or. So, I, I mean, I, I, when I get on, I haven't meant this subject hasn't come up in a podcast for a few months. Um, but at, at the, I think the last time that we talked about it, you know, is this an adoption issue or is this a human issue? Essentially, that's the question. Um, I think I had some, some wisdom came to me in the moment. Like, does it matter? You know, do we just deal with it? Um, so I'll, I think I'll explain 
I'll try this and see what you come up with because I'm interested in your your take on this. We're flipping flipping it slightly around. Yeah? So um, I, I didn't feel that I needed to earn my place in the world. Right? I, that that wouldn't be a thing that I would say yes. You know, if 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 that was on a multi multiple choice question, have you ever found that? No. Okay. So, but the closest thing that I would have to that would be, you know, I felt that I needed to. Um, make my mum and dad's family business a success when I took over. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's similar kind of thing, right? Yeah. So I had, I talked about this sometimes, but not a lot. I, I, I and, and sometimes people think are, people think I'm a little bit weird for this. Right? So I think it's a little bit weird talking. So I'm to, we're talking about adoption here. And I say to people, actually, business has caused me far more emotional heartache than adoption in, in the span of my 55 years. So when I wasn't, and I didn't think I was good enough at business, essentially. So if I'm not good enough at business, then I can develop some new skills. Mm -hmm. right? So whether that's emotional intelligence with staff, emotional intelligence with clients, um, business strategy, product development, marketing, you know, like the, 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 the list goes on and on and on. But, you know, I'm Simon. Simon says, I'm bad at business. I need to get better. I need to do some work. I need to get a coach. I need to, I need to read more. You know, it, 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 is, it really goes on and on. I've said that twice now. Okay. So, but then when I thought that there was something wrong with me because I was adopted, which was an idea that kind of came into my head every now and again. I couldn't do anything about that. So I, oh, I'm primarily wounded. Uh, you know, like, uh, there's nothing I can do. You know, if, if you're primarily wounded, you can never be whole again. So that's really disempowered. So the empowered shit, sorry, I never swam this. Up there. <laughs> the, the empowered bad businessman can get better. But the but the unlovable, primarily wounded adoptee can't be can't be whole, and therefore is destined to a life of no better than where I am now. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I've come to see that whole idea of the primal wound very differently in the last few years. Because when my daughter was little, I was like, "What's that?" I mean, you know, it didn't make any sense to me. I, I just could not, but now I think that it was an early way of um, formulating the idea that, um, that children who, sorry. <laughs> the dogs come on the, the dogs come on the Zoom. Yes, okay. Hey, um, we haven't had a dog on the Zoom for ages. <laughs> well, she may have to go out of the room because she's going to be obnoxious here. Um, so... I think that that the idea of the primal wound was an early way of talking about the neuroscience of a neglected child. And I, can you hang on one minute? I'm going to put her out of the room because she's sure. going to be annoying. Here. Hi, we're back again. The uh, the canine problem has uh, <laughs> the, the 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 interloper. The canine interloper has now left the room. Nancy, you're saying primal wound. 
Yeah. So um, I'm not going to say that I'm an authority on this. So I'm just talking off the top of my head here. But um, I also did not understand what attachment issues meant when my daughter was little because she was very attached to me from the very beginning. And people would say, well, you know, overattachment is a sign of attachment issues. And I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> you can't but, win. <laughs> but <laughs> you can't I don't win. think they were wrong. I don't think they were wrong. Oh. Because attachment issues don't mean that you aren't attached to your parent or you can't attach to people. But it means that you may be, you know, you may have anxious attachment. You may, you know, she she grabbed hold of my shirt on the second day that I had her and she did not let go for a week. So, you know, she, I, I recently unearthed the video of me arriving at the Kansas city airport with my daughter and meeting, she met my parents for the first time. My dad was recording it and, and, and I posted that on Facebook and, and my daughter looked at it and said, made some comment about, it. I said, you, have you noticed the fact that your fist is clutching my sweatshirt and it never lets go that entire video, you know? Um, so. So she was anxiously attached. Um, we always had a very strong bond. Um, I couldn't quite understand how, like, just the fact of being removed from your early circumstances could create this primal wound. But now I really think that that's a way of talking about the fact that, and, and, and this may not be as big of an issue. Some people claim that it is even for babies that are adopted from birth that the mother's stress, the birth mother's stress during, during pregnancy can hormonally affect the child. And, but, but I know that in the case of my daughter who was in an orphanage for nine months, that in fact, that experience, the ex any experience of neglect during the first two years of your life, an extended experience does affect your brain chemistry. It, it affects the way you're able to process, literally the way you process stress. When you don't have a caregiver who connects with you regularly and responds to your needs, you literally don't learn how to, your, your brain does not develop the ability to process stress in the way that it would if you had that bond, ongoing bond with somebody. And so to me, that's what that means. And it doesn't mean, and I think that when we can look at it in the light of neuroscientific discoveries in the lab. I mean, you know, that's really research that is relatively new. Um, but we, we can look at it in that light. We can also understand that it's not something that you're stuck with forever. I mean, you know, it, it, it is something that you have to, you cope with, like you have to learn coping mechanisms, but, um, but it doesn't mean that you're doomed. <laughs> it doesn't mean that your whole life is completely screwed up. Yeah. So I've this is this area is my fascination, um, a, a whole fascination, and it's it's highly all, all the psychology uh, and the behaviour and and all that stuff is highly 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 complex. Um, my take on it is far more simplistic, and it will probably drive somebody with a PhD slightly bonkers. Um, <laughs> So um, we, we, how shall I put this? Yeah, people say to me, oh, you seem very positive, Simon. 
Um, and I say, yes, I am. Uh, and that's the reason, the, the reason is that, um, that I'm positive is because we are not our trauma. We are not our trauma. We, we, we simply are not our trauma. So all this fascination with behavior, all this fascination with feelings, all this fascination with thoughts, all this fascination, attachment, wound stuff. Oh, you know, like, you know, like it, 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 none of that is, is who we are. And the only way I, 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 the only way I can sum this up uh, eloquently is somebody else's quote, and I use it all the time. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. All the complexity, all the feelings, all the trauma all the, is, is, is in the human experience. Right. And, and that, that's where the, the tough stuff is. And, and, and that's where we're all fixated. We're all fixated in that. And we're not fixated on the, the, the spiritual essence of, of who we are. Um, the ghost in the machine, the chi, the life force, that stuff. Uh, underneath everything that we've, everything we've been through, every behavior we've displayed, every feeling we've felt, Every thought we felt is the truth of, of of who we are. That 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 spiritual essence, and and that that diamond in the in, in the. I, mean, I use the fist. You, you you talked about your your daughter's clenched fist. I, I I don't know if you've heard me saying this. I do use this metaphor quite a lot on the on the podcast. So I'm holding up a, a fist. Sorry, listeners, if you heard me do this before, but. It, it, it never it never ceases to fascinate me the fist i'm holding the fist up to the screen on this zoom that i'm doing the uh, recording with nancy the fist recommends trauma but sorry the fist is the metaphor for trauma and underneath that metaphor for the uh, underneath that underneath that fist if i open my fist out i'm showing nancy a glass diamond <laughs> and the diamond is the metaphor for the spiritual essence of who we truly are our true Identity, not woo-woo spiritual stuff, like who we truly are. Some people, neuros, some, some neuroscientists call this consciousness or awareness. And that awareness, that diamond can't be wounded because diamonds can't be strapped. That spiritual essence can't actually be damaged because it's not a thing. And that's what makes it so nuts because we can't find the thing. We can't find the spirit that who we truly are because it's not a thing. It's a, not a material thing. So, so yeah, and and I I agree with I I like what you're saying. On the one hand, um, and I I do want to clarify that my PhD is in creative writing, so it's not in anything related to science. Um, I I do have a lot of experience with psychology, but I'm frustrated with it to some extent, or the way that we conceive of psychology because. I think that what we're talking about is actual physiological stuff. It's not just, I think it's bizarre in, in the US, for instance, we have a separation between what we call um, behavioral services and medical services. And it's all medical. I mean, it's all physiological. There's been so much research that shows that it's all physiological, that, that behavior comes from physiological things. 
And, and so I so agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, for many adopted children, especially who have been in orphanages or many children who've been in, in conditions of neglect or abuse in their early lives, it can become an impediment that the, the interruption in their brain development can become an impediment later in their life. And so it's really important to recognize that and deal with it. Like my daughter became ill. She became ill for several years. She didn't get out of bed. She didn't go to school. Um, and a lot, some of it was allergies. We've, we've uncovered a lot of reasons for it. Um, and it was related to, um, to food allergies, but it was also related to her inability to process stress. And she was going to school every day in a school where she was hearing constant comments about her race and her origins. And she was, she really just struggled with the whole, the whole stress thing. Yeah. What I, what we discovered though, is that once she became aware of that, it, she can deal with it a lot better. She's like, Oh, I, when I get stressed, I do this. When I get stressed, I do that. Yeah. So I don't have to be, I don't have to react that yeah. way. Um, I can learn to find other ways to react traveling. She, she traveled a lot and I, I watched travel. You could, it was amazing watching how that rewired her brain, the way that ordinary stresses didn't kick in the same way when she traveled, the, the way she became this authoritative person who had to figure stuff out. And and that helped her, I think, to get command over her whole life. So, so I agree largely with what you're saying, but I also think that we have to recognize that these can be issues and that there are ways to actually address them so that they don't interfere with your whole life, the yeah. rest of your life. So um, I, wouldn't, I didn't, dis, didn't, I, I didn't um, uh, put what I said very well. I believe that we should be trauma informed. Yeah, yeah. And and hope obsessed. I believe that we are hope obsessed. I, I believe that we've become trauma obsessed. Yeah. And 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 we we need to understand clearly all the physiologically, all the all all the all the all the feelings, all the thoughts, all yeah, we we, we need to pay some attention to all this stuff. But what's helped me most mm -hmm. in my life has been focusing on who I am. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Not 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 my feelings. We've become as well, one of my um yeah. one of my, <laughs> yeah, one of my uh, mentors says we've become emotophobic. You know, you don't have you don't have a problem, you have feelings. You know, we we're trying to we're so much we're trying to push away. We're fighting what is. We're trying to fight our feelings and and that's what the western world does. Well, yeah. You know, and there may be some gender differences in the way we think about this, and there may be some cultural differences in the way we think about this, that, you know, um, because as a creative writer, I think our feelings are pretty important. But I also have many students who sometimes can't get beyond that to really tell the story in a way that will move other people because they're so, but um, I, I hosted a, a writer last week on my campus who, um escaped Rwanda as a child during the the massacre Tutsis and, yeah. and and she's written a book about it and and she oh. came and spoke on our campus and one thing that was she's in her early 30s and one thing that was very visible is that she's still very traumatized that that's never going to go away she witnessed something she experienced something that's never going to not be over um so, you know, I, I, it put, it put trauma in a different perspective for me seeing that, 
but at the same time, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that we, we, we may think of it a little bit differently, but, but I think that, yeah, I mean, there's some point that we have to also focus on, write about, I teach creative writing. I have a lot of students writing about trauma. And I think that we got to push past that and see what else, you know, we, we figure out there's other things that we can write about and think about too. Um, so that might put it in perspective. If we, if we focus too tightly on one thing, it becomes so big, but if yeah. we're able to put it in perspective in the larger perspective of our lives, which I think is kind of what you're saying, it, it becomes, it, 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 we can, we can manage it. It's not as big of a thing. So I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a managing thing. I think it's a seeing thing, generally speaking. So you, you and, and I'm going to kind of hopefully point some evidence, uh, some of what you said back it as evidence of this, right? So your daughter had these challenges and then she brought them out into the open and they ceased to become such big things, right? Yeah. So when it's hidden away, right? right. So that, that's one thing, right? So it, for me, I talk about like trauma like a, a, a snowball. So we bring it out into the sunshine where we can have a look at it and it and it melts and we see the trauma was was made of thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Um, and I so that's what happens, that's what happened to your daughter. I think what happens, what's happened to what happens to me through writing and, and what a lot of writers show to say to me, they say that writing is therapeutic. They've got some stuff in their subconscious, they bring it up into the conscious by writing about it and they see that you know in a in a in a um how shall i put this in a very childlike way in in, in a very childlike and perhaps oversimplistic way they see that the that that the there isn't a bogeyman under the bed right mm. he's not there it, you know the 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 uh the uh, the the ghost in their subconscious is revealed to be to be nothing and and that's what writers kind of what writers do uh you know that for me the the i mean i've heard stuff about i've i've read a, a book about the rwandan uh, the hooties and the tootsies and i've seen i've seen uh, tv shows about it and that will stray you know will stay with will will stay with people for the rest of their lives but it's not who they are right and you know that she was a very inspiring speaker in many ways because she has embraced ways of looking at her life in positive ways of helping other people of you know she talked a lot about her meditation practice and uh, you know she she's figured out ways to um I mean, yeah, it's always going to stay with her, but that's not the sum total of who she is or what her life is it's about. Not, it's not her, yeah. And, yeah. and that's just my own sense. So when I realized that I wasn't fundamentally, when I realized that human beings are fundamentally unwoundable, right? Yeah. When, yeah. Like not as just a nice idea, a throwaway line that some slightly wacko bloke going mm -hmm. against the whole of the, the adoption world, right? When I realized that we are all whole, despite the horrible feelings that we feel, when I realized that I that that we are all fundamentally unwoundable underneath the SH1T that we've been through, 
that just changed my world. So, you know, um, right. it, it's the separation. We are not our trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, it still came back to me. I, I had something last week, actually. I realized I was pushing away. I, I realized that I was um, somewhere, sometimes I was ashamed of my trauma because I thought the trauma was who I am. And then I thought, that's nuts. And then that's another, that's another little insight that, that takes me further along. But yeah, I'm writing my book. I'm writing my book at the moment. I'm planning my book. And the title is Whole. Mm-hmm. The title is Whole. Yeah. Because yeah. there are some people out there in, in mentoring other adoptees who are telling them that they can never be whole. And you that know, is scary yeah. stuff for me. I These people shouldn't be mentoring others. I teach a lot of courses on the connection between writing and healing. And um, and there's a lot of really interesting um, research on that. And I do think it's really important for, I deal with mostly, not, not exclusively, but mostly women writers who have some kind of trauma in their past. And I think it's very important to bring that out into the light and look at it and understand it and figure it out put it in perspective and then I think at some point then you're like okay now I'm ready to write about something else I'm ready to think about something else I'm ready to move on to something else and I think it's so important to get to that that point but I think you have to go you know you have to go through it not around it to get there yeah well I've been going through it for yes years or so now um so you know like this is this is this is deep stuff right um Nancy I want to thank you um and I want to tell the listeners um, to check out Nancy's books because she's written two books about her, her daughter. There's links in the show notes. You, you, this, this is a very bright lady and to raise one kid on her own and all that sort of stuff. Um, sorry, I hope that's not patronizing. I don't, oh, no, I, but may I also mention, I remember Lori Jaquila's book and it's called Belief is Its Own Kind of Truth, maybe. And it's about her own experience as an adoptee and finding her birth family. Okay. So I so really recommend that too. We'll put a link in that in that uh, that as well. And Nancy, thank very you. thank you very much for coming on and uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. Thank you. Thank listeners. you. Cheers. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye.